Diving into data. Diving. Diving. Data. Diving into data. With T.C. Riley. There's something about hearing a computer say your voice, or say your name. It's kind of interesting, yeah. It's, it's, it's not something I hear every day, so... It's a dystopic future or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Diving Into Data. I'm Tyler Kern. He's T.C. Riley. Hey, Tyler. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing really well. You ready to You ready to data? I'm ready to do a little data. You ready to data it up? Oh, yeah. You know it always. You're always ready to data it up. <laughs> uh, so, you know how... Always, we start off in sports. That's just kind of that's kind of what we do, and uh, I think the reason that that's so easy, TC, is first of all, you and I are both sports fans, so that that really helps. But also, it's it's really really obvious a lot of the ways that data has kind of come in and revolutionized a lot of different things that sports uh, that happens in sports, and it's not just on the field uh, kind of measurables that you can get from data. And we've talked a lot about Statcast in baseball or some of the other advanced analytics that teams are using these days. But it kind of goes all throughout the ecosystem of sports, everything from the marketing to to the fan experience at games. And, and so it's just so easy to see how sports has been transformed over the last 10, 15 years just by the influx of data that's available to some of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, yeah, it's a, it's a topic we're both very comfortable with and enjoy. So, that, you know, that's we're selfish. not going to lie. Yeah, it's yeah. a little selfish. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, one of the great things about it, again, if you watch sports at all, you've undoubtedly seen, especially in the last decade, even the last couple of years, the advances and leaps. Um, of data being used again. The, the, my favorite example is always the you know the, the AWS uh, next gen stats the mm-hmm. NFL is doing, especially right. like Sunday Night Football that they do a lot on. Um, but yeah, you, you hit something on the head there that I was digging into a little bit more this week that um, I think I was aware of, but I didn't realize just how prominent it was, and that is really how forward thinking a lot of professional sports organizations have been when it comes to this kind of technology using this stuff. Yeah, um, from a business perspective, frankly, maybe more so than. Um, other more, we'll call them traditional industries, have been. Um, and they're, they're using a ton of data, and they're using it for all different types of things. Um, and it's not just data, it's also technology. That's a, it, it's, it's, it's important, I think, that we you know, kind of give credit to that side, too. It's not just purely using the numbers, it's using the technology that right. you can then get numbers off of and things like that. But um, one of the biggest things, so digital engagement tracking, they're one of the um, uh, professional sports organizations in general are very, very good about this. Um, they've done a lot of different things to, um, frankly, get a granular level of data on their customer that can be incredibly valuable to them that other businesses either maybe haven't done or frankly, a lot of times maybe don't have um, as easy of an opportunity to collect. Right. And what I mean by that is things like electronic um, tickets and transferring um, little passes that they kind of use at sporting events now Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you can use the the Mavs app at the Mavs game to, you know, make all your purchases and and not only buy your ticket and scan your ticket, but pay your parking and buy that beer for your, you know, father-in-law or whoever you're going with. (laughs) Um, But what that's allowed them to do is not only get granular data on um, what they're actually buying in terms of the tickets and all, it's helping them a lot on the concession side, Mm -hmm. um, understanding what people are buying, when people are buying it. Um, Again, it's not necessarily that teams for decades haven't been analyzing how to sell more beer. Of course, they've always wanted to do that, but they have more immediate data. They're able to make changes. Um, There's actually a couple of minor league teams 
teams I've read that are going to a dynamic pricing model, um, which literally could mean inning to inning in a baseball game that you're at, the beer price is changing based on the overall supply demand and what's going on. Your teams, you know, the, the home team's down eight after the third inning. Right. Um, it's a cold, windy night. You're probably going to see that price trickle down a little bit compared to that, um, you know, that championship series with uh, two teams in the middle of summer when everyone's buying a drink anyway. So That's a fascinating thing to look at. Yeah. It, it's And again, I, I would... I would say that the part that surprised me here was the um, uh, immediate actionable insights that they're trying to go for. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, again, that they're doing this analysis, they've been doing it, but it's how they're using advancing technologies, getting more granular data. Um, even on, frankly, when people are walking around the ballpark, where are they spending time physically within the stadium, within the uh, you know the ballpark, whatever it may be, um, in order to maybe set up better marketing, better opportunities for them to make money in the future that, hey, in this field... Um, there's a really cool view of the city if you go stand behind the third base you know, dugout or yeah. I, I don't know, whatever we're talking about. Um, and a lot of people just tend to kind of spend more time there and congregate there. Okay, well, how can we take advantage of the fact that people are doing that? Um, and sports leagues, again, I, this isn't something where, um, given the entertainment value and the, the, the nature of a sporting event, um, they have a lot more opportunity to kind of immediately target and see immediate results from this compared to, you know, let's say our more traditional company where you're marketing over the course of days, you have huge, you know, buying, uh, selling cycles. Um, no, you, you're trying to get that person to see that ad right now, turn around, take that money out of their wallet and spend it right then and there. That's a great point. Um, and so again, all this kind of leads to maybe again, maybe this isn't shocking and surprising as much as it is a little eye opening. Um, but some of the other, the, there's two specific things that have also kind of stood out in this data and technology kind of sector related to sports teams. But again, off the field that, uh, again, I, I think are worth noting. So, one of them is actually, um, so uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Um, so it pains me to say this, but we're actually going to, I'm going to give credit to the Patriots for something here. Oh. Um, yes, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. For actually, everybody. we both hate this. So yes, uh, this is just terrible all the way around. I hate it. Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, but the Craft Analytics Group is a kind of business subsidiary of um, everything under the, you know, craft umbrella, including the Patriots. Um, but they have done a really, really good job when it comes to this kind of stuff. Fan movements. Um, understanding pro shop interactions, what people are and aren't buying, when they're buying them, why they're buying them in terms of merchandise. Obviously, teams make huge margins on those items. Um, so the more that they can optimize that, that's a huge opportunity. Um, and it's actually helped them that they're talking about. They haven't necessarily implemented it yet, but um, I think what we're going to see in the future is we're going to be surprised that even though the prices keep going up for everything, I think attending sporting events might actually see a backslide. This is kind of my off the wall prediction here. Okay. Um, that we're going to see ticket prices either level off, not you know, not rise with inflation for lack of a better term, or maybe even creep down. And the reason is going to be because these organizations are going to get so good at getting every dollar out of you while you're attending those events. Um, I think, you know, this would also maybe, if you think of it in a completely different light, an amusement park would kind of take this approach too, but I don't think we're necessarily going to see it there. The way sports teams have been utilizing this data um, and are able to do it, I think the Patriots could probably drop their ticket prices by 20% based on some of the movement and, you know, information they're getting from pro shop sales and make up that money in those other venues. Get the people in the door, don't, you know, overcharge them to get in. Once they're in, that's when you use your technology, you use that kind of inside information you have um, to bleed them dry, frankly, which, you know, that's the, the point of a profitable business. That's a really good point. I, I, I guess I wonder, 
this doesn't seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon as 5G and like maybe better Wi-Fi makes its yep. way into stadiums and that yep. sort of thing. All that does is open up to, to more data, to more personalization and that sort of thing. And I think that's probably the direction we're heading. Absolutely. And actually, uh, the personalization piece is another one that I love that it kind of ties in with the next piece where the fan experience is also something. Again, this leads more to maybe into a little technology than true just data. But yeah. um, again, it feeds into that data capture. Um, AR and VR, especially AR, um, augmented reality kind of features within those sporting environments. Um, one that I love, the Mavs have rolled out in the last year. If you live around Dallas, you've seen these massive billboards downtown for you know promoting the Mavs season, trying to get season ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, the product on the court this year is going to sell itself a little more maybe in the last few years. But uh, Looks so that so far. Uh, knock so, on wood over uh, here. Yeah. Um, we're still hoping. But uh, uh, some of the posters that they put up, um, I know there's a big one with Dirk. There's some with Luca. I think there's a couple with even some other random players where um, you, know, you pull out your phone around town and uh, open up a website that it says like, mavs.com backslash AR or something. Yeah. Um, and these billboards are interactive and they're, you know, it, it, rather than just looking at a, a picture of Luca shooting a three pointer, um, it's a live video highlight playing on the side of this building. And again, it, many of you are probably familiar with AR, but um, I think we're going to see that bleed a lot, lot more into the venues and into the stadiums um, where, hey, fans, you know, take out your phone, um, you know, throughout the game and kind of watch through this for all these AR features that, you know, stats popping up on the court or um, this and that animation or whatever it may be. And while that's going to be awesome for the fans and be a really cool experience and kind of increase there. Think about the one other little point here. Think about how much data they are going to get on the back end from all those people using that, what they're using, what they're looking at, what they're interacting. Again, all our concessions now have AR, so you can actually go up and see some, you know, see the popcorn pop up when you look at this or whatever it may be. Um, But think about all the data points you're going to be able to get there as you have the person doing that. And then again, you've implemented some payment technology so they can then use that same phone. The amount of data you're going to be able to capture on that one person and everything they're doing, I think is really going to be an interesting game changer in that field. So it's cool. I'm with you on that. And you wonder just... Uh, okay, stadium wayfinding. Like, can you help people find their way a little bit better mm-hmm. to what they're looking for uh, using AR or something like that? Can you hold up your phone and kind of scan around the stadium and it points out hot dog stand here, exactly. here, here, exactly. you know, that sort of thing so you can kind of find what you want easier? And just improving that overall in stadium experience because in, uh, we, we talked to uh, a guy who uh, really, really involved in setting up technology in stadiums a couple of weeks ago on uh, Market Scale Mornings. And one of the things that we talked about was that for years and years and years, the at-home experience of watching sports has improved, while the in-stadium experience has largely yes, stayed the same. Exactly. It's, you know, up until recently and, you know, with kind of these uh, these innovations and that sort of thing, the the experience of going to, the, to a game hadn't really changed since 1900. No, really, you, like, you, go, you, you take your ticket, seat. you hand it to them, you go sit in a seat, maybe the food has changed a little bit and that sort of thing, but the basic concept has stayed the same. This feels like the first kind of revolutionary change in uh, the stadium going experience for sports in a long time. Exactly. And I think historically, you know, we've seen over the last few years, the last, uh, I say few years, few decades, um, sometimes there's smaller markets and smaller teams that have trouble getting people in the stadium. And it's because, yeah, I frankly, I would rather sit and watch on my 65 inch 4K TV um, this game and stuff than a, you know, rather than drive down there and deal with the parking and deal with this and deal with that. And now you're kind of updating that experience where it's not just simply a you're dealing with all this in order to consume the game live. But you also have all these other fringe benefits, all these other cool things you can do. And, um, yeah, and the follow-up on yours, that the one feature I desperately need, I always seem to have trouble with, it's the fourth quarter's important game. 
Um, maybe I had one too many beers. I really need to find that <laughs> restroom and I need to find the closest one as quickly as possible. Yes. Let me see some light ups, you know, arrows popping up on my phone, directing me directly to the closest. <laughs> yes, please. So I miss as little of the game as possible and also don't have a, an embarrassing experience. <laughs> so one of the things about sports is that it is kind of like this legacy thing, right? Where there's a lot of maybe old fashioned attitudes towards things, but they've actually taken a lot of this data and moved forward quickly. Now, one of the other industries that I think this is similar true of is transportation where you have these legacy systems that maybe kind of hold back new technology from really taking hold and taking root in the market and kind of moving us forward in terms of what we know and how we can implement that in a uh, technological sense. I've been working on a podcast on uh, New York City trying to update their subway system. Mm-hmm. And one of the big issues is that some of the infrastructure there is from like the 20s. Right. Uh, so it, it's it's from so long ago that how can you actually implement new data and new technology into these spaces and that sort of thing. But that being said, TC, talk to me a little bit more about the transportation market and what we can learn and what data is telling us about transportation these days. Yeah, and, and one thing I'm going to stay away from in this little segment here is the um, infrastructure side of this more. Um, I think that's a whole other discussion. Maybe at some other point we should have that, yes, obviously many people where we have an infrastructure issue and potentially right. you could say crisis in this country um, that's kind of been creeping up on us for a couple decades now. But um, we're going to look more at global transportation um, or uh, using that existing infrastructure structure, however it may be, whether it stays how it is or it gets better in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but with transportation, it's something that um, there's just a big market research study that came out. Um, and right now, so $10.3 billion is spent on analytics in the transportation market. And this is obviously a very all-encompassing kind of term. Um, pretty much anything related to the technologies and the analysis and the, the, the platforms, everything around transportation um, and analytics, uh, $10.3 billion now. Five years, it's supposed to be up to 27.4 billion. Wow. Um, 270, you know, 270% what it currently is in uh, five years. That's that's pretty astonishing growth, um, even compared to, uh, obviously, this is, data is booming in all industries, but this is, this is even a little bit of an outlier for um, what we've seen. Um, one of the big pieces of this, obviously, growing smart tech and the ability um, with different uh, technologies, especially related to transportation that come out there, have allowed for more data capture, more data sharing. We mentioned 5G. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, again, any industry we're talking about, we can say better technology, better access to data is going to lead to more use of that data. So uh, we know that one. Um, but something actually caught my eye. It was kind of interesting to me. Um, actually, shipping. Um, so uh, you know, freight shipping on the seas, boats. Um, Um, is expected to see the biggest jump in this. Um, And one of the ways that I found that really interesting is I actually have a personal connection to someone tied to, um, there's a lot of regulations changing in shipping, especially as it comes to actually environmental impacts, what kind of fuels are allowed, um, how closely those are monitored. And so it kind of made it interesting that um, there's going to be almost a necessary investment by a lot of these companies, a forced regulatory investment um, into the tracking and the ability to not only capture data on where the boat is, but how the boat's running, what kind of fuel it's running, this, that, and the other thing. Um, So a little bit of this might be spurred by kind of a regulatory nature. It's a requirement more than it is just an opportunity. Sure. Um, But it's still going to be really interesting to kind of see where that goes. Um, The other piece I also found interesting, Europe is actually expected to be the biggest growth of this. Um, Interesting. I guess uh, uh, looking at the data, um, the U.S. and Asia have done maybe a little bit more investment already. Um, Europe has not done as much. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of things going on in Europe over the last few years, especially. Um, But uh, 
we would expect probably if you, you know, all things equal, I ask you, okay, um, with the global economy, what are the two biggest places you're going to see an increase? You'd probably say North America and Asia. Yeah. Um, but it's actually Europe that's maybe there. And I think, again, I think it's more of they're a little behind. They have some catching up to do and some investments to make in regards to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so what this study did, I, I read a really cool breakdown of it. Um, and what it was talking about is the tech and investor incentives around smart cities and smart transportation, mm-hmm. um, the ability to kind of uh, go with the flow. Everything is moving in this direction. Transportation needs to also, um, and the tiebacks to that. I think that's going to be one of the major drivers is the kind of incentives and the investments being made in the smart city kind of uh, mentality. Right. Um, transportation being a massive part of that. So that's going to be a big reason for this uptick. uptick sorry. Um, but one of the challenges, and uh, I was reading about, this guy wrote this little op-ed, and I I wish I had his name in front of me, but I do not, um, was talking about legacy systems. And again, this maybe ties a little bit back to infrastructure. Yeah. Um, just how difficult this is going to be, um, given that so much of the transportation industry is relying on tech that is very dated. It is very, um, maybe even depreciated in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and additionally, they also have a lot of regulations and transportation compared to maybe some other generic industries. That's a good point. Um, given the interstate, intercontinental, you know, international um, uh, component and nature of transportation, um, there's a lot more that goes into the regulation as well as kind of the environmental side. We have to acknowledge that too, that there's uh, there's fingers in there. But um, anyway, it, there, there's going to be challenges to this. This is uh, the transportation industry is not just going to snap its fingers overnight and be, you know, uh, 20 years in the future. But right. Um, uh, some of the things coming out, you know, even bleeding into the autonomous vehicle opportunities and the data that not only is going to be required to operate those, um, make sure that they're capturing enough data immediately to avoid, you know, running off the road yeah real-time issues yeah Yeah. um but also then all that data being able to be taken afterwards and processed and analyzed and realize hey route to route this is what's better or this is where we're losing time and losing efficiency this is where we're losing even gas mileage things Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. um it's going to be really really interesting so uh, given the influx that we're expecting the next five years um, i'm really excited to see in the transportation industry and again just from the analytics data capture data usage perspective where we're going to be I am absolutely fascinated to see that as well. And I think it's going to be one of the areas that in our lifetime might end up changing the most, I suppose, is that kind of smart transportation, smart city, and how all of that works together to kind of radically change our lives. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing if that occurs more in newly developing cities as opposed to established cities, right? Yeah, because you, you wonder if kind of what you talked about infrastructure-wise, if it's just easier to build all of that new in kind of developing cities as opposed to refurbishing and kind of uh, having to kind of go through that process with with older cities that have existing highway systems and existing rail systems and things like that. Very, very, very micro view here, probably more drilled in than we should get, but just looking at Dallas, what downtown Dallas and the surrounding area is going to be able to do versus, you know, maybe Frisco or some of the major suburbs that are up and coming. They're just a the freshness of them, the ability to incorporate these technologies as you're building compared to going and trying to, you know, retrofit the, the, the street system that was, you know, designed in the 1880s or whatever that it's going to be different challenges. It would not shock me if Frisco had an autonomous bus system before Dallas ever. Oh, absolutely. Something like that. All right. We're going to take a 15 second break. When we get back, we're going to talk about our data term of the day and also talk a little bit more about uh, decision-making and that sort of thing when it comes to using data in a business sense. So stick around. We will be right back after this. Tired of boring marketing content? 
you don't have the time or budget to create the videos your company needs, MarketScale may be able to help. Ask us how we can create content for your company today. All right, TC. What do we got now? We got some. Uh, so this is a little bit uh, higher level than maybe some of the segments in the past. We're going to talk about this is all about data driven decision making. Um, so this is something um, this is my uh, I'm going to pop behind my lectern up here and give my little uh, soapbox speech on uh, how you should and should not make decisions using data. Well, let me get out my legal pad and uh, pencil and let's uh, let's go to class. Absolutely. Get your desk ready. I'm ready. Um, so what we're going to talk about here and this actually came from a Harvard Business Review articles first what um, spurred this in my head. There's also a couple good Forbes articles I'll kind of touch on as we go through here. But really what uh, I want to kind of break this down into is a information versus intuition. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the terms that they'd use in that article. Um, And balancing those can be very, very difficult. And what we mean there is using your data, using the numbers, using what the analysis has shown, and using what you know, using that human element, the gut feeling for lack of a better term. and again, I think we've kind of, we briefly touched on this in one of the past shows. Um, and I encourage folks that um, you need to use data. You should always use data. Of course, I'm the data guy. I love data, trust data, but don't be blinded by data. Um, don't be so reliant on the data that you take out the human element. The one thing that makes us real special as humans compared to machines um, is our ability to account for other variables and account for other things that a formula can never account for. Sure. Um, and so what, this kind of leads us into, um, I'm going to talk about some of the issues, but before that, I'll set it up with our term of the week, um, which is confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias is, is it's a tendency that we have as humans to interpret new evidence as a confirmation of our existing beliefs. Um, and so, for, in other words, if, if you already believe something, you're going to look at, uh, again, it could be data or it could just be, you know, examples in the real world. And in your mind, you're going to automatically kind of use that as evidence, whether uh, of you being right, whether it is or not. Um, It's human nature to always want to prove ourselves right. And that's just the kind of way we are. You see this a lot, and maybe this is just me, but you feel like you see this a lot in sports, right? Where if you think a player stinks and then he, he, you know, he does something that has like a little bad stretch or something like that, then it's going to confirm in your mind, this guy stinks. And you're using a really small data subset, whereas like maybe the greater picture of data would suggest, no, he's actually having a great season. You're just focusing too much much on like this one little thing to confirm the fact that you think this guy stinks uh, the best way very quickly um a little tangent here uh javel mcgee if you're familiar with him uh, nba player mm-hmm. um been around the league for years he's uh shacked in a fool which is the one of the tnt's little like side pieces <laughs> he's constantly focused he's kind of uh, constantly made out to be this clown and they always people are right. always oh look what he did now Dude's a heck of a really good. He's a really good player. He's yeah. a solid player. He made a couple. He makes a couple mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. People are looking for him to make these little mistakes and blowing them out of proportion. So yes, ties in with that. We exactly. Had to, we had to bring it back to sports. We always do. We definitely do. Um, but um, so with that confirmation bias kind of in the back of your head, remembering what that is again, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, looking at um, data proof something and using it to somehow ver- you know validate your own beliefs whether it's accurate or not. Um, the two things that I see the biggest issues with, um, which I kind of say on either end of the spectrum here, is people approach us with data projects or data questions with a mindset of, I need you to find data that shows this. Um, the other, so the exact opposite side of that of coming in and telling us exactly what we have to find data to support is saying, hey, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Just go look at the data and see what it tells you. Right. 
both of those, frankly, are not the best approach. That's not right. Um, obviously, each of you is going to deal with you know unique work situations and all when you don't have a ton of control over this. But um, in general, you don't want to take the approach of I'm looking for something to prove this or you know whatever it may be, and I'm also not going to just blindly wander through the numbers and see where it leads me. Um, what you really, really, really need to do is find a verifiable and testable hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Define that. Um, flashback to you know science class in high school. What you want to do is make sure that um, you set yourself in a position where you can match your intuition and knowledge with what the data says. And what I mean by that, so that verifiable hypothesis, I'm looking at two pieces of content we did here at MarketScale. Um, I think that uh, in my gut, my instinct is telling me that it, you know, t part A is kind of the old way, t B is the new way. If I go in just saying I need to find something that proves B be is better, I'm sure I can find something that proves that whether it really is better or not. Right. Alternatively, if I have no opinion on it, there might be too much data on both A and B for me to really differentiate. But what I want to do is I want to say, okay, I, again, this is a very broad example, but I think B perform, is going to perform better than A. So we're going to release them both. And within the first 30 days, I think that B is going to get 1.5 times as many page views as A. Again, it, we don't need to be overly complex here. This isn't some incredible experiment. All we're doing is we're setting a benchmark that this is what will be required in order to prove what I think is going to be right is actually right. So that way... I go back after 30 days. If B has twice as many page views, okay, I've proved myself. I set my standard. I said this is what's required to say is B is better. Mm -hmm. Okay, B is better. Alternatively, if I go back and there's only 1.1 times as much, okay, I did not meet my hypothesis. I need to go back to the drawing board and think. If I just am blindly wandering in, I can take that 1.1 times as much, 10% more, and I could run with that and say, oh, well, that definitely means it's better knowing that, hey, maybe there's some other factors in there. Um, alternatively, if again, if I go in blind and I'm also, I'm, I'll tie it back to web metrics, bounce rate is really different between the two. And I'm using that as my gauge now. Right. Well, I, I've, I'm looking at something completely different. I don't know what I was looking for. So um, there's always going to be unaccounted for variables. There's always going to be externalities. And frankly, formulas can't always account for those. But you and I can. That's the, that's the best part about humans. You know, we were able to understand everything that went into this if we really sit down and think about it it. Um, so what I'm going to encourage all of you to kind of constantly do is, again, set parameters, know what you're looking at, define a verifiable hypothesis and mm -hmm. say, if this happens, then this will mean this. If not, then I'm going back to the drawing board and then stick to it. Um, so that's going to be a data-driven decision. Uh, Cassie Kazakoff, who's the chief decision scientist at Google, always says um, data-driven decisions, not data-influenced decisions. That's something I've seen her um, put. And that's I think, is really kind of interesting and a, a great way to look at it. So. I think that's great, and I really like the uh, the warning against looking for data that proves something that you already believe to be true. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yep. like uh, find me data that proves this or whatever, uh, because that can just be such a dangerous thing. And you wonder how you ended up so far away from what the correct answer actually is. Um, that sometimes going in with a preconceived notion of where the data is going to take you is going to lead you astray. And so I think that's a really wise, really wise uh, warning there, TC. Yeah. And again, and you have to have some level of this in this intuition of, hey, I think I'm going to try and prove this because I think this. That's okay. Definitely. It's just not okay to say I'm going to find anything that I could possibly find to prove what I'm going for. Exactly. And uh, one little tangent of uh, story in the news this week that kind of hit on this is uh, looking at those externalities and making sure you understand circumstance. Um, if you've been following 
following the Deadspin um, yes. story, uh, kind of fold, collapse, whatever we want to call it. Um, something that I kind of chuckled at, uh, again, not understanding the context of data. Um, they shifted recently, for those you don't know, they wanted to be all sports. Um, they've been traditionally more of a little bit more of a commentary culture kind of site. They want to do all sports, just mm-hmm. sports, sports, sports. The company came out and said, actually, sports was 99% of our page views in the last month, and 24 of our 25 top stories were about sports. So this proves that we should be doing sports. This is what people care about. Right. One of their employees, who I was on their way out the door, to be fair, kind of poked his finger up and said, <laughs> um, by the way, um, of the stories we've made, over 99% of our content was only sports, and only one of the stories that we actually put any support behind um, was non-sports. So what you're pretty much saying is that, well, yeah, 99% of the views are because 99% of the content is. Exactly. Uh, you, you didn't consider the circumstance, so they kind of a little egg on the face situation. So that's my friendly reminder to you guys to uh, make sure you consider what's going on out there. Um, make sure you verify a hypothesis and... Uh, uh, think about it and know what you're doing. Don't just blindly wander into the woods. Exactly, exactly. Wise words from our data man here at Market Scale, TC Riley. TC, thanks for joining me today for another episode of Diving Into Data. Tyler, it was fun as always. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Everybody else, we will talk to you again uh, oh, on Friday with another episode of Business Casual. So we'll see you then. See you.